0: Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna and Dana, and this is the show where we speak with inspiring founders to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Jenna Basto, who is a co-founder of Prodpad. Prodpad is a software for product operations and product managers, and we're here today to discuss how she's building it, as well uh, as how she was growing one of the biggest product communities out there mind the product that was acquired earlier last year right by pento so welcome jenna how are you today
1: yeah wonderful thank you so much for having me great to be here
0: well it's great that you know you you you, uh made the time for this because i know how busy you are so let's get maybe a little bit into your your background why product management like how did you get here (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I fell into product management, I guess, like a lot of other product people. I was a, um, uh, an account manager. I dabbled in a bit of tech and design and marketing and bits and pieces like that. Uh, and turns out I was good at both speaking to the customers as well as to the tech people in the company. And so I was given this position as a junior product manager. And I was like, OK, well, that's cool. But what is it? And I spent a few years doing it really badly. I didn't have guidance. I didn't have good leadership. I didn't actually know what I was doing. Um, but by doing it in various ways and you know, learning the best I could from whatever resources I had around me, I started trying to lay down some of these patterns in front of me so that I could improve what I was doing. And along the way, I realized a lot of this stuff was pretty repetitive. repetitive. You know, I was writing. PRDs over and over again, I was making roadmaps over and over again, I was having to deal with the same sort of backlogs over and over again, and so started conjuring up ideas of what a tool to help systematize, you know, these product operations pieces would be. And um, uh, I'd sketched together some ideas, I'd hacked together some pieces with, um, with Excel templates and bits and pieces like that. Uh, and didn't really do much with it besides help me do my own job for the first few years. And I grew my own career. So I moved from a junior product manager role, which I started in uh, Montreal in Canada. Uh, I moved over to London and got a uh, product manager role in a much smaller company. So all of a sudden I was taking on more and more and seeing more how businesses ran. Uh, this is where I met my my co-founder, who I ultimately ended up running Mind the Product with, as well as ProdPad with, and I showed him these ideas that I had around um, product management tools, right? It was like, well, you know, here's something that I think I've been using to to help me do my stuff, and I think, you know, could be useful for other people, and he gave me feedback on it, and then he pointed out, he's like, yeah, this would be easy to build into a tool, like, you know, I can do the back end, and I pointed out, well, you can do back end, well, that's cool, because I can do front end which was a little bit of a lie. I mean, this is back in the days of um, jQuery and Bootstrap you know, this is, you know, very, very simple front end code that I could do, but it was enough. It was enough to get a version of the the app that we could use internally only um, and uh, solve our, our initial problems. So we, we hacked together the first version of BroadPad. It didn't have a name at first. It wasn't this tool that you could go find online and buy it yourself. There was no onboarding flow. There was no invites. There was no um, way to buy it per se. Uh, it was just this tool that we used with our, our own two companies where he was head of product at one company. And uh, eventually I became head of product at a different company. And we were proving that this thing worked to solve our own problems.
0: Okay.
1: And then eventually we ended up rolling it out to more and more people in our company, but also sharing it with other product people around us. Cause we started sharing it with other product people that we started to get to know because it was around the same time that, remind uh, the product stuff had started picking up speed. That had started off as the product tank meetup and the, the product camp that we started, You know, a couple of different um, little gatherings of product people. And so we were surrounded by product people all the time, giving us feedback and giving us insights as to how these people worked. And so you know, we started just quietly sharing it with a few people, seeing who gave us feedback, seeing who liked it, seeing who had uh, uh, critical feedback, and then feeding that back into the product itself and improving it. And over time, people are like, this is really great. How do I buy this? Of course, we didn't have a payment system, there's no way to buy it. And so it was around that time that we started getting up our guts and thinking about quitting our jobs to go focus on it full time. And so I put up a payment, uh, not a payment page, a, um, uh, a page that was sort of like a, um, uh, a buy now page, you know, it's like product management software, click here to, to get it. And people started trying to buy this thing. And so that was kind of the clue, If complete strangers want to buy this thing maybe I wanna go do something with it. And so uh, that's when I handed in my notice and went to go focus on this thing full-time.
0: Wow, well, first of all, uh, you had a lot on your plate and that that's very impressive, <laughs> everything you're talking about. Like yeah. I had a full-time job, I had a community, I had a camp, I had meetups, everything. So that that's really yeah. cool. So, uh, and this is one of the questions that I actually wanted to ask you because after uh, you picked up on ProdPad, Mind the product was already uh, up to speed, right? So uh, how, how did you juggle all that? Like, give us some <laughs> some tips, like how to um, multi manage like everything that that um, that you have?
1: Well, I mean, it's important to remember that both started off small and both started off with good co-founders. So myself and Simon, we were uh, both hacking away on ProdPad, but it was something that we're doing on weekends and evenings between stuff. And it wasn't a big build. It wasn't a fast build. It was just something we did over time. So it took us a couple of years to get to the point that this product was... Good enough for us to leave our jobs and go monetize it now we could have done that a lot faster but we would have had to give up on something but we didn't what we did instead is we kept our day jobs which meant we kept our salaries um so that was the the trade-off that we had but also at the same time we found time to build out the mind the product community So during this time, we also found time to run the uh, product tanks every month and the product camps every year. And then we started building up the steam to run the first ever Mind the Product Conference. And it was also basically that same year when we started running that Mind the Product Conference, we could see that on the horizon. And that's when I realized, okay, I can't keep the full-time job and do the conference and do the meetups and do the software build and expect this all to go well. So that was one of the tipping points going, okay, something's got to give and it's going to be the job. and so um, it was only possible to do any of this because I did have co-founders. So mine, the product did have two other co-founders who were working on it as well. Um, so it wasn't just me, it wasn't just Simon. Um, there were other people working on it as well. Um, and it uh, did, uh, like the conference for example, did pull in volunteers as well. So it would have been able to be pulled off without the help of other people from the community making it happen, uh, but it was tough. I mean, I look back and go, God, how did we pull that off and not? end up losing all our money, (laughs) in hindsight, (laughs) or our minds, we, we, there's no saying that we didn't lose our minds. Um, (laughs) In hindsight, I realized uh, that there were so little tolerance, uh, such little tolerance in running the event that it's very possible the whole thing could have blown up in our face. But by some miracle, we actually did do really well. Um, And we were able to pick up on that steam and do the next one and the next one and the next one and each one got better than the last. Um, Events are tough, particularly as product people, because as product people, you want to iterate. You know, like if if somebody doesn't like your software, the next day you can make it better. And the next day you can make it even better. And each time you get this feedback, you can make it better and better and better. If somebody doesn't like your event, well, you can't change it until you run the event again the next year. If something goes wrong with lunch, like, what are you going to do? You can't fix it. No matter how much money you throw at it or what you do with it, all you can do is order more lunch for the next year or change something you did with it the, the following year. So it's really tough. It's anti-lean. It's the most waterfall, biggest bang launch you can imagine. And so, you know, we had to really, really change our mindset to be able to pull these things off.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, love, I love the comparison. Like that, That's the slowest iteration that, that you can think of. Uh, But uh, I also um, want to ask about the the MVP stage, right? It took, like you said, about two years. And we're talking about, what, 2012, right? Yeah. So there were no, basically, no code, low code solutions that would uh, satisfy you. And did anything change in your mindset? Like, what do you think now? Uh, Is it still better... To go custom code from the beginning, or do you think faster iteration and uh, choosing maybe simpler um, tech stack from the beginning is is better?
1: Honestly, choosing a simpler tech stack from the beginning. Now I don't know about low code because I don't, or, or no code because i I've I never really had a chance to operate in that space. By the time that stuff got any good, um, we were beyond the the the, the means of that. Um, but here's an example that um, sort of talks about the predecessors to that stuff because the first first version of BroadPad, we started building in 2010, that's when we first cut code. And uh, in 2010, um, you could kind of get sort of like um, HTML um, templates and stuff so you didn't have to build from scratch. I knew how to build from scratch, but I also knew that you could sort of get pre-built design templates to work from. So I used some of those because um, uh, I had built from scratch before and realized it was just a lot of work, and you know could do that, and it was okay. But in uh, 2012, we ended up rebuilding it, and I was able to use the Twitter Bootstrap um, templates that had come out, and they were infinitely better because they were just you could. Quickly changed them. They had all the elements you could imagine, um, so it wasn't necessarily low code because it was basically just lumps of code. But it took away so much of the effort, and all of a sudden we we're like, oh yeah, we could just use it. Use this for a long time. And We actually built on that for the next several years until we ended up rebuilding into a much better version some years later. But that version got us through the initial chunk of um, you know crossing that chasm sort of piece of uh, the work.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, All right. So uh, let's maybe uh, jump a little bit uh, to mind the product for some time, because uh, you just recently had an acquisition. And this is something uh, that I personally am very interested in. Right. So um, why why exit? Why did you choose the acquisition and how did it go?
1: Ah, Right. I mean, Uh, it was a very successful um, uh, strategic exit. So it worked out very well for um, all parties. It was something that was very additive to the um, uh, the acquirer who was Pendo and was um, the best um, outcome for the people in the business. So couldn't have asked for better timing or a better outcome for um, the parties involved. Um, As for why, um, I mean, I think every business needs to, find its home eventually. right? It wasn't a business that was going to um, IPO, let's be honest. Um, It wasn't something that I wanted to hold on to forever. And frankly, it wasn't a business that I actually was operationally involved with at that point in time anyways. So um, at that point in time, the uh, original founders, myself, Simon had gone on to go focus on ProdPad. Um, Martin, one of the other key founders had gone on to go work with um, uh, EQT as a, a partner, a product partner in the VC world. Um, and so it was time to give Mind the Product the space to go grow up um, and give it a, a chance to become something bigger than what we originally created for itself. So it had its 10 year run as its original, very grassroots, thing that was started by the original group, um, but now it's being given space and um, financial backing from its new owner to go do so much more. And uh, I'm not sure if you saw this, but um, you know, one of the things that happened when the um, pandemic landed in order for Mind the Product to, frankly, survive through the pandemic, because it couldn't run events, um, was that it put up a paywall and a, a premium level of sponsorship so that it could make enough money to keep going, uh, which was essential to make things work. But one of the things that happened after the acquisition just recently is that they took down the paywalls and basically said, you know what? This, this content doesn't need to be paywalled. This could be made free to the entire community. So everyone get in, you can have this for free. There's no more paywalls, get in. This is all mine, the product for everybody now. And so it's really great to be able to see that be possible again
0: right yeah that that sounds amazing especially especially for you to see how it lives on um your legacy so uh what about broadpad is mm. it the product that goes to ipo or um, <laughs> do you see it getting a new home maybe in the nearest future or in 10 years time
1: yeah i mean one of the goals that i've had for uh broadpad is i want to build a company that in 20 years time People who work there look back and say that they were proud of the company that they worked for. They look at the time that they spent and say, yeah, we were doing something that was important. And while we were there, we learned and we developed as people and we were proud of the time that we spent because there's so much going on in the world out there. And there is... um, uh, so many other things you could do with your time. And so we don't want people to think, oh God, I worked for a company that was you know, actively making this place worse or I was working for a company that made me feel terrible. So ultimately I want to create a space that um, uh, is uh, a great place to work. Now, as to where that leads us, um, I am not building for a giant IPO. We're not building for the VCs um, this is actually by design. We're we're completely bootstrapped business. We're building so that we can run the type of business that we want to build. So we're completely customer funded. I mean, all of our money has come from our um, customers to date. Our first ever paying customer is still with us today, 10 years now. Um, we just celebrated that um, this last week, actually, because um, we launched it. Yeah, we launched it in uh, January 2023 and we got our first paying customer within the month. Um, and so, um, sorry, not 2023, 2013, now we're 2023. Yeah. Um, and so um, uh, we're just been keeping that going forwards now of course the world may change that may change but um you know we've never been the type to sort of say yeah let's take this great company that we have and let's bet that we can you know triple it triple it triple it double it double it and you know make it rocket this way or if we don't do it we lose the whole thing you know it's like betting it all on red i don't really see that being a uh a, 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 a pleasing outcome, not really exactly the direction that I'd want to take it because we've got a really good thing here that's um, you know creating a great home for the twenty uh, odd people that we've got working here right now.
0: Okay, that's that's something that I keep hearing uh, from um, from the guests on the podcast, uh, from other founders, that it's not about skyrocketing growth, hyper growth, and uh, generational wealth uh, exits. It's about <laughs> creating a lifestyle for the founders and for the team that is comfortable and that they're proud of. And yeah. uh, I, I think it's a beautiful approach. All right, so uh, we fast forwarded a little bit from 2013 to uh, 2023. So uh, what was the biggest change, uh, maybe for for the business uh, or maybe for you as a founder, if something that you didn't estimate or something that completely changed your mindset?
1: Mm, I mean, the pandemic landing was uh, definitely a big one. Um, I mean, I ran two businesses at that point in time, um, one of which uh, was an events business, which, I mean, didn't shut down, but its main source of income was absolutely cut at the knees. Um, And I watched that uh, have to pivot instantly and have to recover itself and pick itself back up. That was a really tough time to um, uh, to go through. At the same time, I watched another business that I have um, pick up Tailwinds because it was a you know, online collaboration software. All of a sudden, you know, anybody who's using whiteboards and, and that sort of thing <laughs> couldn't use their whiteboards anymore and they needed tools like BroadPad. So it was a really interesting shift and being able to see both sides of those at the same time um, gave some really interesting perspective on what was going on in the world.
0: Can you share?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I could <laughs> see the, um, the the different ways that uh, companies, like which types of companies were affected, um, how people were affected. Um, I mean, more than anything, um, the direct impact on BroadPad was how tough tough it was to um, uh, have everybody stay at home. We were a team that was a remote first, but still had a really good in-person um uh, vibe to it like people would be in the office people would love to get together for our off sites and that sort of thing and going those years without it was really really tough and i could sense that from lots of others as well
0: all right okay let, let's talk about your team then so you said it's about 20 people right
1: i think 24 25 I and mean, we just hired two people this week which is really okay. exciting so right. yeah um <laughs> yeah a couple more joining in the uh in the coming uh Days and weeks now.
0: All right, so you're you're growing.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. we're growing. We've got a, we've got a couple more um, uh, job uh, job openings as well right now.
0: All right, so uh, which area, which department are you hiring for?
1: so we're uh we've been hiring in the um uh yeah we're currently hiring in the customer success and sales types of spaces um a content writer um and we've just hired a um head of engineering as well
0: okay oh okay, so very different you're growing in yeah. all directions
1: yeah all spaces yeah yeah <laughs> we've all we've always grown um pretty uh deliberately, so we don't try to add in you know, five of one type of person all at once and just crush that department. We try to grow, you know, one of each at a time. And that way each area gets a chance to sort of figure out what that person brings to the team. And then we figure out, okay, well, based on that person's skills, what skills do we need to add for the next person? And what do we need to add for the next person and the next person? And that way you don't end up with just, I don't know, when you throw three people into the mix, you don't actually know what their skills are going to do in terms of overlapping or missing gaps or whatever else
0: yeah and at first there were just two of you right you're
1: me and simon say, m- yeah
0: more technical co-founder and yeah. and then you i guess uh were a bit more on the business side so how long uh did you guys stay just just the two of you and when did you, did you decide that you know <laughs> it's time to to hire somebody else and uh where did this come from
1: yeah in hindsight, too long um it was just the two of us for uh i guess you could say from uh twenty twelve when we actually formed the company uh, but we'd been working we'd been hacking away on it and keeping our day jobs for two years by that point in time anyways so uh twenty twelve to twenty fifteen was when we made our first actual hires. We had dabbled with a couple developers um uh uh sort of outsourced dev work to help with some of the bugs and you know some of the de- development stuff that was outside of our remit uh, you know we're just this is this is beyond us can you help us with this um but for the most part we didn't do any in-house hires until uh 2015 so it was 3 years in 5 years in depending on how you're counting um, and then at that time we started growing but we were still only five, six, seven people um, in 2017 2018 um, and then it grew from there because we saw an explosion of growth in our customers and so we saw a growth uh, an explosion of growth in our team and we hit 15 16 people um and we've uh, we've grown from there
0: that that's pretty rapid growth right so what changed for you personally as for the founder how did you adjust to this growth how did you uh change your role maybe
1: yeah i mean um i learned to delegate Um, before I used to be the type of person to just get in and try to do everything myself. One of the big things that I've learned to do as I've matured as a leader is learning to trust people and just say, you know what, here's the bounds of what I need to be, what I, what I expect to see done. Um, here's the problem that I want to see solved. Um, here's an example of how I've tried to solve it in the past, but you're the expert. So you go solve it. You actually know how to solve these problems better than I do go and um, let people go and solve problems Uh, and so that's allowed us to do so much more you know in the early days I was doing some coding I was doing content writing I was doing support and success and sales and everything Um, so I've kind of played a hand in everything Um, and now obviously I've handed that over to um, different people across the business and um, they're all better at it than I ever was (laughs)
0: Right. Well, the way you describe it, there is a lot of trust within the team. So, how do you make sure you know you hire the best talent that uh, also understands the culture in the company and that is uh, you know the person that you want to work with?
1: Yeah, I mean, hire slowly and deliberately. Um, so you know, we still have a multi-stage hiring process that involves um, us screening them and a deep dive into their cv um, a challenge that uh, they can take home and do in their own time but we pay for their time on that so we don't like to waste anybody's time on on their their interview process Um, follow-up interviews to make sure that they're that other people on the team get to know them Um, and um, uh, we make sure to get enough people in the pool so we've got a good comparison as well so we don't just fall for the first person who passes some bars, um, you know, we, we try to find the person who is absolutely best for it. And sometimes it means making really tough calls, you know, so you're sitting here going, wow, all three of these people could be awesome for this job, but we've got to pick the best one. Tough call, but we can only have one. So, let's go with the best one. And, um, you know, it's gotta be somebody who uh, matches across all the criteria and we think is really gonna match. Otherwise, we'll just go right back to the drawing board and, you know, wait it out until the right person does come along. Sometimes we've waited months to fill a role and that's okay because I'd rather have the right person rather than somebody who ends up dragging us back.
0: Right, okay, that's very interesting Uh, how you, um, how you support your own culture and how you make sure that you know only only the right people um, come come on board. So uh, let's talk about customer acquisition now. Uh, at first, uh, as I would guess, your first customers would get would uh, be getting from Mind the Product from the community, right? So how did this change, especially since uh, Mind the Product was acquired?
1: Right, I mean, that's actually not true. Most of our customers haven't come from Mind the Product. Um, Mind the Product gave us some credibility in the space, but you've got to remember that Mind the Product customers versus ProdPad customers actually have a different profile. Yes, they're all product managers, but people who go to Mind the Product are classically those who sort of already um, know um, where it is that they're going with things. and It's a very much smaller subset Whereas people who are looking for questions like, oh God, I've got this roadmap that's due. How do I make a roadmap? That is a much wider subset of people as opposed to, I want to go see Marty Kagan on stage. That's a different type of product manager. Yes. Some of them might also have the question of how do I make a roadmap? Um, but they are different mindsets and different customers and everything. So most people who we've ever acquired for Broadpad, 99% of them come through organic search and through, um, uh, word of mouth from other customers. So we, from the get-go, um, from 2010 onwards, basically 2011, sorry, uh, we've been writing blogs about product management stuff, um, how to make a roadmap um, that people actually read, um, how to write specs um, that your developers are actually gonna pay attention to, how to do personas, um, basically just a whole wide list of stuff that people might wanna read. Um, and learn about with product management. And this brings people to the site. And from there, um, they see that we've got a tool that can help them with it. And they go from there. Um, A lot of people actually don't realize that connection between us. We've always kept a bit of a a wall between us. uh, Because otherwise, if we masqueraded as a mind the product outfit, mind the product wouldn't have been successful. Because mind the product depended on ProdPad competitors to be its sponsors. So product, Mind the Product had to have different um, companies like ProdPad competitors to come in and sponsor it and um, you know, ultimately right. pay its bills. So we never, ever, ever used the Mind the Product network. We never, ever did a mail out to them. If we were sponsoring Mind the Product, we paid the same amount as anybody else who was there.
0: Okay. All oh, right. That, that's very... Uh... Healthy approach to it. So very two very different businesses yeah. that don't ever overlap. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. The one, the one, the one thing it did give us was it gave us some credibility. I mean, people often look at uh, myself and Simon and go, "Oh, you must be legit because you also do mine the product." We're like, yeah, absolutely, we're legit. <laughs> <laughs> we know all the product people. Um, you know, we've 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 talked to some really cool people. We've learned product management from some amazing product people. We've we've applied that into ProdPad, and now ProdPad is the tool that's helping you become a better product manager because we've learned about how to be great product managers from their lessons and so it's the one tool that's really opinionated it it it, it helps you ask the best questions so that you don't get falling you don't fall into traps that a lot of the other uh ways of working will 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 trap you into um, it's uh you know it makes it difficult to create a feature filled roadmap that is gonna trap you down the line it makes you think about outcomes first it makes you think about whether you're solving the right problems uh, which is exactly what product managers should be thinking about when they're doing the stuff but um you know a lot of other ways of working don't really carve out that space for it
0: okay so once once you got your legit badge uh how much more um customers affected the um the, the roadmap of Prodpad. So how, how did you uh, introduce the new features? like did, did customers ask you for something or you just worked on it, maybe did some competitor research and knew what to build next?
1: Yes, the first two years, like the two years when it was just myself and Simon um, not quitting our day jobs, 2010 to 2012, we did it all wrong because we just built a tool that helped us solve our own problems. And we didn't get out there and talk to enough customers at all because we didn't have any. Um, We didn't have the guts to go out there and just talk to random people because we were still kind of junior in our mindset. Um, And so we built something that solved our problems for our two companies. And we're like, yeah, cool, solving our problem. Good enough. we weren't trying to sell it then either so it didn't really matter and so we built a version of prodpad which wasn't really sellable and we discovered this as soon as we tried to sell it and we started hitting walls Um, and uh, it was as we started trying to sell it that uh, people came back to us and say you know love the roadmap but i wish it could do this and they wanted the ability to take the at that point in time was a gantt chart roadmap they wanted the ability to take the, the the things on the roadmap and drag them forward by a month and had we just listened to the, the customers, we would have just had like a multi-select drag and drop, move everything over by a month. But we actually stopped and we asked the, the, the whys, we asked five whys and worked our way down and realized that actually, um, uh, uh, it turns out that no one is delivering on the roadmap in the first month when they first set it out there. So why is that? Why do we have this timeline that's, that's saying all this stuff that we're gonna do when we don't actually finish things. No one's finished in the roadmap. So what would it look like if we had a roadmap that didn't have that timeline, but actually just sort of had buckets around what's happening now and what's happening next and what's happening later. And that's where that now next later roadmap concept came in. We reshaped the ProdPad roadmap to fit that. Um, and uh, that was based on customer insights. And that was one of the first turning points of Prodpad going from a a tool that, you know, could have been just, you know, another mediocre tool um, to something that actually stood out as something kind of special in the space. Um, And so, you know, had I just built it based on what I was doing previously, I would have built the wrong tool, but I based it on lots of research um, and uh, turned out with something better. and from there, we realized, oh God, we really need to be talking to these customers. We've got people talking to us now. We're getting you know, a couple dozen trials a day. Let's see what they're up to. And um, from there, um, uh, we've just not been lacking in feedback since. <laughs> Product managers love giving feedback. Um, and they, they love giving really thorough feedback too. I mean, some of our customers will give us feedback in, um, uh, uh, user story format. You know, as a product pad user, I wanted to do this in order to do this. Cool, that's great. I mean, some of this stuff is so well formed, I could just you know take it to the devs and we could go do it. Uh, other stuff, I go, okay, that's interesting, but we're going to park that because it's not solving the key problems we needed to. But we've tried to build something that uh, paves the path of the best practices that the most product managers out there need. And so that often means that we move slowly and deliberately with the changes we do. So instead of just taking a feature that somebody's asked for today and just going like, yeah, sure, we'll just add that in and ending up with dozens and dozens of features and flags and configurations and all this sort of stuff, we sort of go, okay, that's maybe one thing, but maybe that's just a trend or a thing that somebody's come up with today. Let's see if enough people have come up with this and enough people come up with it. We go, yeah, actually, that's a good point. And so we've built in lots and lots of functionality um, based on what we're seeing people actually Need, Um, But even today, ProdPad is a much simpler, much more streamlined tool compared to a lot of the competitors out there. And that's one of its um, strengths is that it's easy to configure. It's easy to get set up with. It's not overwhelming. There's not a million things to change or configure, but it does ask the best questions. It does give you the best path to go down as opposed to any path. You know, it's not like a spreadsheet where you can just go do anything with it. it. It makes sure that you're asking the right things.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, this is another trend that, that I keep seeing. Uh, people tend to focus on simpler products. Like the, It doesn't have to be all the bells and whistles in one place. It, it actually overwhelms. Uh, and I, I see that I, I started choosing my products, the products I use uh, for my job, uh, just following the, the same logic. So uh, I really, I really like how you approach it. Okay. So um, what about uh, this roadmap that you were talking about? Did you apply back? So did you also start uh, doing now? Um, sorry. Now, next, later. Next, next and later. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we use ProdPad for ProdPad. So we've got a Now, Next, Later roadmap um, that represents the product work that uh, we expect is on the horizon, that that represents our product strategy. Uh, We have ideas about our ideas. We have customer feedback about our customer feedback. It's all very meta in there, uh, but, um, you know, helps us make sure that we are understanding how people are using it as well as, you know, talking to our customers.
0: All right. So uh, one more question is, uh, what challenges or what other challenges did you or ProdPad uh, faced when you started scaling?
1: Yeah, such a good question. I mean, uh, the early days, I didn't realize how easy they were. I mean, at the time, they seemed tough. Um, they always had their own challenges. But um, what I didn't realize was how uh, forgiving your earliest customers are, and how easy it is to build for that, that um, first cohort who's coming through that first year or so of customers. Because when you're b- building for that first early cohort, they're so much more forgiving, they're willing to put up with your beta junk product. Uh, They're willing to give you feedback. They're really excited to see this new entrant into the market because we were just creating a market. You're also just building for one cohort. So you're only having to really worry about people who had only just joined your product at that point in time. Right? They've only been using it for about a, you know, a week or a month or a few months or something like that. But over time, what you realize is, you know, after a year, you're supporting people who've been using it for a year. So they're becoming more advanced. But you're also still supporting people who have just explored your product for the first time. They're just getting in there and they've been using it for five minutes or five days. Um, and then after you know, five years, you're supporting people who've been using it for five years, as well as people who've been using it for five minutes, as well as people who've been using it for five months. You've got to think about these different cohorts. And after 10 years, you're supporting people who've been using it for 10 years. These are super advanced users whose needs have changed. They become increasingly um, complex. They're power users and they're super advocates as well. Like as I said, our first ever paying customer is still with us today, both as the original client account um, as well as the the person, the advocate who is there, she's left her job and has taken ProdPad with her now to four different places, which is amazing. Um, but each time she's joined different and larger companies, and each time you know she's brought new user needs with her, we've learned from those. But also the type of user who uses it becomes more and more of a power user. They're looking for deeper functionality. So one of the problems with scaling is just making sure that you're keeping up with these different types of users and um, building a product that serves their needs, but also still still allows you to grow with the new customers and not making your onboarding overwhelming for them.
0: All right. So, so you don't really stop uh, your users or you don't stop yourself from developing a product uh, from a certain point, right? So if, if you get customers that have bigger operations or, or uh, some different uh, tasks that they, they need to do, you still try to uh, take care of those needs.
1: Yeah, exactly that. So I mean, an example might be somebody joins up because they've got a, um, a, a, a team who gives them lots of ideas and they wanna manage those and put them on the roadmap. Cool, right? Pretty basic use case. So they're, they're adding ideas. They wanna have an add idea function and that's delightful and easy to use in broadband. Well, now they've added a hundred ideas. They now wanna have a good search for that. Cool, okay, that's understandable. But now somebody wants to be able to get like a really good filter and you know, be able to really dig down through those ideas. And now they've got a thousand ideas, right? This is this is a, you know, ten years from now, um, they've got a thousand ideas in there, and they want to be able to manage it really quickly and dig out the best ideas from there. So now they're going to need AI matching and deduplication, which is exactly the type of stuff that we've got in there now. Now, if we'd had AI matching and deduplication in there ten years ago, a it would have been ridiculously hard to build because who had that kind of tech, and B would have been, you know, over the top spec, anyways. Um, but we, you know, had to build up this functionality based on the needs of our growing customer cohorts.
0: Right. Okay. Well, th- thanks for sharing that. And well, I guess uh, I just have one bonus question for you now. Uh, yeah. What is the current seller trend that excites you the most? Thing maybe that you're planning to to introduce for ProdPad as well. So, ah, the current SaaS tra- trend,
1: right. Um, yeah, it is, it is, um, AI, uh, been playing around with, uh, chat GBT a bunch as well as the, APIs underneath it. We've already been building in some of this tech and prod pad in the, over the last few years, um, a couple of years ago, we launched a, um, chat bot ourselves called dot bot that allows you to, uh, basically talk to it and ask it questions like, you know, of all the ideas, in my backlog, which ones are most important to our customers or which things frustrate our customers the most. But with the latest tech, which we're now building in, there's so much more you can ask it. So we're building in things like natural language um, search um, or the ability to just query your entire data, uh, your entire ideas um, like you would, you know, ask a human. And um, it's amazing what you can do with it now. So I'm really excited to see what this is going to do. One of the goals of Prodpad is to um, reduce the grunt work for product people. And I think that's ultimately the goal of any SaaS tool is to make it easier for people's lives. Um, If your tool isn't doing that, then what is it doing? And so this is ProdPad's goal is to make it easier for product people. And the advent of AI here is going to vastly change the shape of what we can do over the next few months and years.
0: All right, I saw this post on LinkedIn asking, how do you see marketers that use ChatGPT for um, generating their content or for doing anything with their content? Um, do you think less of them? They're very smart or I, I don't care at all. So uh, I guess the same question for product people. How do you see product people using uh, ChatGPT or any other AI product?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's a um uh it's a tool like any other. So it can be overused and I think it should be used with caution. Um it's not a tool that does your thinking for you. So people need to remember that it's it's not complete, right? But it can help with brainstorming, it can help um reduce the grunt work, it can help articulate in various ways. Um, and so I think it, it can help in um, a lot of ways if it's used in the right way. Now I think, I think what's really key is that we're still learning what it's good for, um, you know, I've been playing around with it and realizing, okay, yeah, here's the bounds of what it's been good for. And here's where it's making stuff up entirely and it's no good at all. Um, and you can see where people have been pushing the limits and going, yeah, I've made this post. you like, that's definitely AI written and it's pure junk. Uh, whereas other times like actually it was really helpful in you know helping to get past this barrier right here by all means use it you know is it any different than the designer using a color picker as opposed to you know trying to craft the the the, the exact you know um uh, color themselves it's a tool it's um uh, it just shouldn't be used um, excessively or in place of actual human thinking
0: all right Okay. I I love it. Well, thank you, Jenna. Uh, It's been amazing talking to you. And uh, thanks for telling the story of you, Mind the Product, and ProdPad. And uh, yeah, I hope we can do it again sometime.
1: Absolutely. Hey, thanks so much for having me on here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care.